Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. You can grab a seat. Anybody bring a Bible to church tonight? You got a Bible? Hold it up if you have a Bible, so I know you're not lying. Awesome. Great. Uh, some people, it's like on their phone. Like, I promise I got it. It's on here. Um, if you have your Bible, let's open up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We're going to get there in just a second. I do want to say that it is a massive uh, privilege every time I get the opportunity to preach uh, one of the weekend services uh, when Pastor Stovall, Pastor Kerry are away. I really do count it an honor. And uh, I'll say this, man, there's a lot of awesome stuff just to kind of on the heels of Pastor Jason there uh, in Orlando. Man, if, if you've never been down to Orlando to actually see Celebration Orlando, you got to like make a trip this summer. It, it will definitely be worth it. A lot of people in our church, maybe even you in this room tonight, you know, you gave at the very beginning a couple years ago, you sowed into uh, financially us being able to to do that campus and church in Orlando. And it's just awesome. I mean, there are well over a thousand people on the weekend now, and it's just incredible. God's raising up a team. It's like world-class, first-class kind of stuff that's happening right in the heart of the city. And so maybe, you know, if you're taking the kids down to Disney World this summer, stay over a weekend and check out Celebration Orlando. It'll be awesome. So, hey, Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to go tonight, starting in verse 36. And, uh, man, it was a few years ago now that um, I was in a conference and a friend of mine shared a little bit out of, uh, with me out of, out of this Luke chapter 7 passage. And, it, and this, this was several years ago now, and it really like, it touched me. It really meant a lot to me. And uh, God really used it to do uh, something in my life during that season. And uh, I just recently in the last couple of weeks came back across those notes from, from a while ago. And uh, man, God kind of put this back together. And I thought, man, I want to share this with our church this weekend. And so if you don't have a Bible, we got you covered. It'll be on the screen to the left and to the right. It says this, Luke 7 and 36, it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with them, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him uh, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Verse 39, and when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. He said, okay, uh, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, well, I, I suppose, you know, the one who had the bigger debt, forgive it. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Verse 44, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which was customary, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, which was also customary, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Tonight, I, I wanna talk to you on what I've simply entitled. Sometimes I come up with, with clever titles or whatever. I, I couldn't think of anything better than this simple title tonight, Sinners, Forgiveness, and Love. Sinners, Forgiveness, and Love. I think at its, at its basic, most simplest essence, that's just the gospel message, that we were all sinners who can receive forgiveness in Jesus Christ because he is love. Don't you love that? Don't you love that love isn't just an emotion, but love has a name and his name's Jesus. And tonight we're gonna talk about the gospel. We're gonna talk about sinner's forgiveness and love. Why don't we pray and we're gonna get into it tonight. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it shapes us, God. We thank you that if we don't wanna leave here the same, we don't have to leave here the same. God, I pray that tonight, Lord, that we would not just be hearers of your word, let us be doers of your word. God, I pray that this word tonight would hit us square in the heart, God. And Lord, that we'll walk out of here knowing that regardless of whatever past we have lived, that Lord, there's redemption and there's love and there's grace in the person of Jesus Christ. We love you and we pray it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. 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 Sinners, forgiveness. And love. You know, throughout any given year, I have the opportunity to travel around. Sometimes I travel, I'll preach other places, I'll go see friends here and there. Sometimes it's just vacation, whatever. I'm sure we all know what it's like to travel here and there throughout the year. And so oftentimes I find myself in hotels. And, uh, and there's something I've realized whenever you're staying in a hotel, and, and the simple principle is this, is that you will find yourself doing things in hotels that you would never do at home. Isn't that true? Like you act a certain way, you kind of live a certain way when you're in the hotel. You don't live like that when you're at home. You know what I mean? Like, like in the hotel, like I'll leave the hotel room, boy, I'll leave every light on, I'll leave the TV on, I'll go out for the whole day, boy, because that ain't my electricity. I, but not in my house, boy, you shut that light off in my house. You know, like only until you can't see your hand in front of your face will we cut a light on, okay? So... Like, like, you'll do that in a hotel, right? Like, when, you, when you're in the hotel, right, you get out of the shower, you get out of the bathtub, whatever. What do you do with that towel? Boy, you just, you're in the hotel, you just throw it on the ground. Because tomorrow, there's going to be a folded up one back in the bathroom. At my house, I don't throw towels on the ground, right? Because I'm the one that's got to pick them up, you know? I'm not, I don't, do, I don't do that at my house. Like, in a hotel, I never make the bed in the hotel. Who makes a bed in the hotel? I don't never make the bed in the hotel, but boy, I'm making the bed at my house. You know what I mean? You do things in a hotel that you don't do. Why, why is it? Because when you own it, you care for it. But when you own it, boy, you, you're, you're cautious about it. You're careful with it. But when it's not yours, you kind of have an attitude where it's like, ah, don't really, don't really matter. This just, it's just a hotel room, right? Like when I'm in a rental car, hello. When I'm in a rental car, I will hit some curbs. I don't have a problem hitting curbs. In a rental car, right? I, I will. I don't even look for other car doors. I just swing mine open and get out. You know, like. But when it's my car, you're careful, aren't you? You're, you're careful with it. When it's my car, especially if it's a brand new car, you will park in the back of Publix parking lot because it's a brand new car. You don't want anybody touching it, right? When it's yours, you're careful with it. But when it's not yours, you might even say that you're careless with it. It's this. It's this careful versus careless thing. And when you own it, you're careful about it. So, so check this out, church. When you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, what happened in that moment of faith and grace colliding is Jesus purchased your life with his blood. And now that he has purchased you, he owns you. He is no longer careless with anything that he owns. But boy, he is careful with what he owns. 
That's what happened. He purchased your life. See, this should give us great hope that the days ahead of our future are good days. They are carefully thought out days. Jesus has planned and purposed those days because he owns those days. God's not careless with your life. Maybe there have been people in your life who have been careless with you. Maybe in your past there was someone who dealt with you carelessly, but not God. Not Jesus. He owns your life, and he's careful with what he owns. He purchased your life, and he's a careful God. I love it. And, and I'm going to get back to some of this. I'm going to tie it all up before we end. But when I read this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 7, I want to give you some things tonight. I want to point some things out that I think are beneficial to us. The first thing we see in this interaction with Jesus and this Pharisee and this woman comes in and she's washing Jesus' feet. She's got some perfume and what's going on here, Jesus? The, the first thing we realize is, look, we don't get a name for this woman. Like she, fi she finally makes it into the pages of Scripture and we don't get a name. She, we, we don't get a name. All we're told is that she was a sinner. No name. We just get told, oh, she's got problems. That's how she's identified. Oh, oh, Jesus, can you imagine if you were only identified by your sin of choice? Can you imagine if you were only called and identified by what you had a struggle in and what your problem was and what your sin was? Imagine what we, it would look like just walking around town. Oh, oh, there goes cheater. That, that's cheater over there. Oh, there's liar. There, there's lust. That, that's envy. That's greed. That, that's pride. That's, uh, imagine if that's how we were all identified. The woman never got a name. All she was told is that, oh, Jesus, this woman's a big sinner and this is her problem. But here's what I've learned about our great God is that I think Jesus is less concerned with what you have done. He's more concerned with what you will do once you encounter his love and his grace in your life. You see, you are no longer in Jesus Christ, boy, the old is gone and the new has come. You're no longer identified with your sin. Sin does not define you. Your Savior defines you. I'm not defined by my sin any longer in Jesus' name. The, the, the truth is, is that perhaps there's some of us who have had labels in life, and maybe you've been labeled this, and maybe you've been labeled that, but what I love about God is he takes that sin label off of our life, he removes that, and he, he doesn't exchange. Jesus comes into our life and he says, hey, I want to do this exchange. I'm going to take that label of sin, and in turn, I'm going to give you the label of son. I'm going to give you the label of daughter. What an awesome exchange. I don't know about you, but when I look at my life, I don't deserve an ounce of the ocean of grace that God has given my life. The fact that he would want to make this trade with me is far greater than I can even comprehend at times. But yet that's what Jesus does when we're in Christ. Hey, give me the label of sin and I'll give you a label of heir, son, and daughter. You're not defined by your sin. You're defined by your Savior. I love that about our God. You know, God says a few things about us, about what we are and who we are. In Psalm 139, the Bible tells us that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's awesome. If, I, if I'm not my sin, then what I am I? You're, you're, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. In Genesis chapter 1, you were made in the image of God. That's an awesome image, and we were made in it. Jeremiah 29, 11 says that God has plans for your life, good plans carefully thought out plans, that ta tailor-made plans, purposeful plans. That's how God has defined you. I don't know what your sin of choice was growing up. I don't, I don't know if it was even alcoholism or drug addiction or sexual immorality or whatever it is, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't define your life in Jesus. The enemy will love to convince every believer that it still defines your life and it's still who you are. That's not who I am. 
Some people have even responded to me before and they say, well, pastor, you know, I hear what you're saying, preacher, and it sounds good, but, but you don't understand. I've already made a reputation for myself for this sin issue. And people around town and people in my family, they kind of already identify me with this sin issue, this struggle and this problem. And people say this and people know me as this and people, 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 listen to me, church, people can't define you because they didn't make you nor do they own you. Only the maker and the owner of my life has the privilege of defining me. And when I said yes to Jesus, he purchased my life with his blood. He gets to define who I am and what I am. People don't get to speak that into my life. People don't get to define me. People don't get to associate me with what they want. Jesus is the one that gets to label and title and define who I am. And he calls us son and he calls us daughter. I love what Philippians chapter 3 and 13 said. It says this, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I think that's an amazing passage of scripture someone needs to be reminded of tonight. What, what do I do if the past keeps plaguing me? If the past keeps haunting me? You see, I, you know why the enemy wants to keep you focused on the past? Because the enemy hates his future. That's why he wants to keep you looking backwards. But the Bible tells us it's very, very clear what I need to do if I'm struggling in this area. I forget what is behind me. I press on toward what's ahead in Jesus' name past doesn't define me. My sin doesn't define me. Jesus gets the privilege of defining me. He owns my life. He purchased my life. As I continue reading in Luke chapter 7, I noticed a few other things that were very interesting. I thought they'd be beneficial to share with us today. In verse 37, the Bible says that this woman lived a sinful life. She's a sinner. She lived a sinful life. Any scholar and person who's ever studied this text uh, would all basically agree that this woman's issue was that she was a prostitute. She was a prostitute, that was, that was her issue. Every night she would live on a, a street corner. I, I want you to picture this in your mind. Imagine this woman, every single night, her, her routine would be as the sun goes down that she would go out to whatever street perhaps she was working that night and she would just stand and she would wait. Perhaps there would be other women who were forced to this lifestyle as well and, and there they are and they would sit and, and, and they would, she would just sit there and she's waiting and men would come and they would buy her. Man would come and he would buy her for a few minutes over there and then she'd come back and she'd stand again. And another man would come and he'd buy her for a few minutes over there and another guy buy her for a few minutes here, a few minutes there and she would just be bought night after night after night. But imagine her astonishment one evening when a friend of hers comes up to her and says, hey, hey, I want, I want you to li listen, listen to me. There's a, there's a man in town. There's a man in town. And at first she's probably thinking to herself, not an, come on, not another guy. Come on, I thought you were my friend. I thought you were trying to help me get out of this lifestyle. What do you mean there's another guy in town? No, 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 no. listen, he, he's not like the other men that you've been around. He, he's not like the other men that you've associated with. This one in town this weekend, yeah, he, he doesn't want to buy you. He wants to buy you back. Imagine her astonishment when she hears these words for the very first time. Buy, buy, what do you, buy me back? What do you, what do you mean buy me Buy me back. You see, church, perhaps there's been an issue. Perhaps there's been a struggle. Perhaps there's been a pattern of sin in your life. If we would all just be real in church tonight and examine our own lives, maybe it's been buying you for a few minutes over here, and it's been buying you for a few minutes over there, and it, it bought you a couple months ago over there, and it bought you last year in that mess. But, boy, the same thing is true for us this weekend. There is a Savior who is here who wants to buy you back from all that mess 
that sin has got you wrapped up in. Oh, sin bought you here and it bought you there, but Jesus is going to buy us back. Some people say, Pastor, you don't, you don't know my sin resume. You, you haven't seen my, my, my stuff is messed up. You haven't seen my stuff. And it's, boy, I got, I got a list a mile long. I'm here to tell you, church, his blood is rich. And it can buy back any amount of sin and transgression and struggle and issue. Jesus is not concerned with how long your sin resume is. You, you, you are freaking out about what you got going on in your life. Jesus isn't scared of it. Jesus isn't worried about it because his blood is rich. Imagine her astonishment when she realized somebody's in town who can fix this whole mess. Somebody's in town who can take old, throw it away, and give brand new. That there's someone here that wants to buy me back. See, I don't know, when you, when you preach a message like this and God kind of puts it on your heart to share with the people in the church, I, you, you don't know who you're preaching to, you just trust that the Holy Spirit's speaking to someone. And, and there's, there's, if God gave it to me, then I know someone in here needs to hear this weekend that he, he's here and he wants to buy you back. No condemnation, no shame for what has bought you thus far, but Jesus wants to bring you back and he wants to give you that new label again. As we kept reading in verse 37, the Bible kept giving us a description of these events and the Bible said that this woman, that she learned about Jesus. I love it right there in verse 37. I don't know if they have it up, but the Bible says she learned about Jesus. You know, that word learned implied that somebody told her. Somebody told her about Jesus. You see, church, there are so many unsung heroes in Scripture. I think one day for those of us who are going to be in heaven and we're going to see Jesus, I think we're going to get to heaven. We're going to see a lot of heroes in the faith. But, boy, I think there are even more countless unsung heroes. We never got a name we never know who they are, but boy, they are in the pages of Scripture and they are throughout history. And some of the heroes we would never have had it not been for the unsung heroes, the hidden heroes who perhaps never got a name, never got a, a title for themselves. Unsung heroes. This woman is in the pages, Luke chapter 7. She's in your Bible because someone told her about Jesus. Someone had the courage to step out and tell her about a man in town. You know, I think if we could examine ourselves today, I think the question for all of us is this. Who perhaps in our life right now is God wanting to get a hold of, but it's our responsibility to help them learn about Jesus? Who is it at work? Who is it maybe even in the, the family circle? Who is it? on the sports field, who is it at the university classroom? Who is it that God is trying to get a hold of that someone needs to know, hey, Jesus is around. Jesus is in town. God can help you with the issue. God's plan for this whole thing is that people would be bold, people would be courageous so that other people could learn. The woman heard about Jesus because someone was bold in their faith and spoke out and told her, you know, there's this old Sang. I don't know if it originated from Field of Dreams. Anybody remember Field of Dreams? Kevin Costner. Um, like, our church is so young. People are like, what is that? It's a baseball movie. Okay, so, um, right. Field of Dreams, right? There's this old saying, and it goes like this. If you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. That, that's a great movie saying, but it's horrible for the church. If you build it, they don't just come. No, the Bible tells us that you need to go out into the highways and byways, compel people that my house will be filled. See, that's how it works in the church world. Just because you put up a building and have some cool lights and screens, people don't just walk in. No, it's on us to help people learn about Jesus. Who in your life needs to learn? Who in your life needs you to get courageous, needs you to get bold, needs you to get passionate 
and speak up so that they can learn that there's a man around who can transform everything, who could save everything, who could do a miracle that they're desperately needing to be done. You know, the person in this story, we don't even know if it was a man or a woman who told this woman that Jesus was around. But, I, you know, if I could just speculate, you know, it's my message, I'm gonna preach it like I want to. So if I could just speculate, perhaps even this person told her about Jesus, but, but maybe they walk away and they even feel rejected. Maybe they walk away and they even feel like, oh, man, I, I kind of stepped out there. I don't know if she's going to go see him or not. I don't know if she's going to you know, come to where Jesus is or not. Maybe you even feel rejected. But what I've often learned, church, is that oftentimes what you think is a rejection is often an injection into someone's life about Jesus. The thing I love about our God is that it's never on us to save people. It's never on us to make the miracle happen. It's never on us to do all that. The Bible says that God builds his own church, that God is the one who saves. It's just on me to keep throwing seed. It's just on me to keep preaching. It's just on me to keep telling people. It's just on me to keep being courageous and keep being bold. That's all I got to do is step out so that people can learn about Jesus. I love it. Maybe they walk away and they feel like they failed. Have you ever done that? You ever shared Jesus with someone and then you walk away and you feel like you failed? Like that's the enemy, by the way, number one. It's 100% the enemy. For every story that I have about sharing Jesus with someone and then it works out as an awesome story, boy, I got even more stories of sharing Jesus with people and, and maybe it didn't work out like I thought it was gonna work out, but it doesn't stop me from sharing. It doesn't keep me from being courageous. It doesn't keep me from being bold. Maybe you thought you failed, but man, really you had an injection into someone's life about Jesus with the gospel message. Have you ever invited someone to church and they didn't come? You ever done that? Have you ever invited someone to church and they came, but it was on the week you wish they didn't come? So, like never at celebration, never happens here, but maybe at like somewhere else, you know, it's like you, you invited someone to church and they finally come to church and, and you get them there, the preacher gives up and he's like, all right, oh, open up your Bibles. We're gonna talk about demonology today. You're like, oh God, not demonology. So, you know, you just gotta keep sharing. You just gotta keep putting it out there to people. Help people learn about Jesus. You know, um, growing up, my brother is actually here with me tonight. And um, growing up, my mom used to take us somewhere on a Saturday, uh, like almost every single Saturday. And that somewhere was called Costco. Does anyone like to go to Costco? Uh, everyone likes to go to Costco. Um, it's the Greek word for heaven. And so uh, we'd go to Costco on a Saturday. And on Saturdays, you know, when you get to Costco, uh, they always have like those sample foods out, right? It's like the little kind old ladies, they're always there and they got their food out, you know, and it's, you know, it's right there on like the George Foreman grill or whatever. And like, they're mixing up all kinds of stuff. They're mixing up pizza bites and they're mixing up like crackers and cheese and all kinds of chicken stuff and whatever. And like, like if you plan your day right, you can get your whole entire lunch at Costco for free if you just keep walking up and down the aisles, right? So we go to Costco on a Saturday and it's so interesting because here you are, you go into Costco and you, you know, you got your grocery list and this is my Costco grocery list. You're buying everything in bulk. It's gonna last you the rest of the year. And so here you are and, and you're walking in and, 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 and boy, Costco is smart because as you walk up and down these aisles and you see all of these different samples, they weren't even on your list. They weren't even on, that, that pizza bites didn't make it on your list that Saturday, but, but boy, once you, you saw it and you, and you smelled it and, you, and then you go over there and you, you have yourself a, a taste and boy, what happens? All of a sudden, pizza bites are in your cart. You see, Costco has understood this principle that though people might not be walking in planning on buying A, B, and C that particular Saturday afternoon, if they can only get you to taste, then they know you'll have to have it. 
You see, church, that's our job as believers. That's my job as a believer. I I just got to give people samples of Jesus. I just got to give people a taste of Jesus at my workplace, in the university classroom, whatever sphere of life God has you in. It's not my job to ultimately save. It's not my job to to conjure up and stir up a miracle. It's just my job to give samples, and God's going to do the rest. That's why the Bible tells us in the book of Psalm, taste and see that God is good. Who in your life needs to learn? Who in your life needs you to be bold? Who in your life needs you to be courageous starting Monday morning so that they might learn that there's a God who wants to buy them back? You gotta answer the question for yourself. As the team gets ready to join me tonight, back to the story. So here's Jesus with, uh, with the Pharisees. He's got some Pharisees around. He's having dinner. This woman barges in and starts washing Jesus' feet. The Pharisees not about it, right? If there's anything we know about Pharisees is that, you know, they're all about a religious club. If you're not religious enough, you can't be in the club. I I don't know how many times we're going to have to tell believers in our generation, Christianity and the church is not a country club. It's an emergency room. It's not a place that we just get together on Sundays and we all talk about what it used to be like when we were all bad. No, no, it's a place where we're doing triage for lost and hurting and marginalized people that are coming in every single week, right? The Pharisee's not having it, though. He's not having it. He's trying to tell Jesus, Jesus, you don't understand. Jesus, do you even know who this woman is, Jesus? Like, if you knew who she was, Jesus, you wouldn't even be having her here at dinner. You'd be kicking her out if you knew she was. And and so Jesus hears all this, and and Jesus takes this opportunity to enlighten this, this brother right here, okay? And so... And Jesus, he often speaks in parables. We know that to be true. So many times Jesus got asked a question, hey, Jesus, what do you think about this? And his response was, let me tell you a story. So uh, Jesus tells this, this story, and, uh, and it goes like this. He, he looks at the Pharisee, and he goes, all right, let me tell you this. Um, let's say there's two guys who owe money. Let's say one guy owes a lot of money, and the other guy, maybe not so much money, but neither of them have enough to pay their debt. The guy they owe money to comes up to him and he says, hey, look, guys, it's, uh, it's all good. Don't, don't even worry about it. You don't even have to pay me back. Ne- neither one of you. You don't have to pay me back. It's all good. Totally forget about it. And Jesus says, out of the two guys that got off scot-free, which one do you think is going to love that man the most? Which one do you think is going to be the most thankful, the most grateful? And the Pharisee responds. He says, well, I suppose it was the, you know, the man that had the, the larger amount of debt that he owed. And Jesus looks at him and he says, you have judged correctly. You've judged correctly. I love how he says it. He says, therefore, I tell you about this woman, her many sins are forgiven as her great love has shown. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, the reason it is, is because whoever has been forgiven much loves much. Whoever has been forgiven little is only going to love a little. As the band gets ready to join me tonight, the worship team can come on out. I I, want to share with you my own little illustration to hopefully tie this together. I think uh, we can all understand when you go out to dinner with a big group of people and the check comes to the table, there's always three types of people at the table when the check gets put down. Uh, it's, not, it's not split checks. It's just one check and there's a group of you at the table. Uh, the first person is always the person that looks at the check and all of a sudden they start going like this. Ah, ah, oh man, ah. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm going to get you next time. I'm going to get you next time, right? And you're looking at him, you're like, that's what you said last time. So uh, that's always the first type of person, like the I ain't got it guy, number one. Uh, Number two, I like to call him the divider. 
the divider is always sitting at the table as well. This is the person who's going to pull out their iPhone. They're going to go to the calculator app. They're going to say, all right, all right, who had the Diet Coke? Diet Coke, was that you? You had the Diet Coke? All right, you're on the Diet Coke. Who had the bottomless chips? Bottomless chips, people. Focus up. Bottomless chips, right? And you're like looking at the guy. You're like, I don't know, dude. We all ate some of the bottomless chips. He's like, nope, I had some. You ordered it. You're paying for it. Bottomless chips. All right. Uh, who had the, the chicken fingers? Chicken, you were on the chicken fingers, right? It's the divider. He, boy, he's going to split that check up down to the tax and make everyone pay their portion. But then there's a third type of person, right? Big group of people. Y'all just had dinner, and the check gets thrown down, and the third type of person does what? They just, they just grab the check, and they say, hey, I got it. I got it. Don't worry about it. It's, it's on me tonight. I got it. Everyone's like, really? Like, that's a, I mean, there's a lot of us. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't have got dessert if I knew you were going to pick it up. But <laughs> I got, like, two appetizers, too. But all okay, good, and it's all good. So, uh, right? I, I, I got it. You know, for me and my family, this is my father. My brother's down here tonight. He, he can tell you the truth. It's, it's our dad. Every time we go out to eat with our dad, I always know my dad's going to pay for it, right? Boy, he pays for it every single time. It doesn't matter if we go to Taco Bell or if we go to Ruth's Chris. Dad is always picking up the bill if we're together. There's never been a moment in my life where my dad looks at me and he's like, hey, son, you want to go grab dinner? And I look back at him. I'm like, no. Like, that's not, that's not happening. That's not happening. I'm never going to do that. If dad's asking, I'm always, 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 always going to dinner because he's always got the bill. He's always picking it up. Listen, church, the same thing is true for our life. The fact of the matter for every single beating heart in here tonight is that we were all at one time a sinner. You're still a sinner. Some of us, we're still in the redemption process. God's still doing a work in our life. We're, we're not perfect even now. We were all a sinner, and, and the fact is, is that Sin, a bill of sin was thrown down on the table. You and I didn't have enough funds to cover it. But boy, grace paid the bill that you and I could not pay. Jesus paid the bill. It got thrown down. You didn't have enough righteousness. I didn't have enough good deeds. We couldn't even put it together and kind of kind of maybe split it up amongst ourselves. There was no way that was happening. We weren't perfect. We weren't righteous. We didn't have it all together. The sin bill got thrown down, but boy, Jesus covered it with his grace. Jesus covered it with his grace. We were sinners. We were lost. You understand that, right? I know we use the term sometimes like, I found Jesus. You didn't find Jesus. God wasn't lost. You were lost. And he found you. We were sinners. But grace did what I couldn't do. And Jesus made a way that I couldn't have forged for myself. You know, sometimes when you come into church and you see an individual maybe down in the front or in their seat and they're like going real passionate in worship. They got their hands raised and they're just really just engaging. They're lifting their voice. And they're getting excited and the whole deal. You, you know what you can always assume about that person? That person who's acting like that, who's giving God their very best week in and week out. You know what I know about that person? That they know they've been forgiven much. Because it's proof on the outside that they love much. Man, look how that person loves God. Look how that person worships God. Look how devoted and passionate and zealous that individual is. Look at them worship and go after Jesus. It's simple proof that they know they've been forgiven much. This is what Jesus was trying to communicate to the Pharisee. Jesus looks at the Pharisee. He says, you're getting all, 
You can all bend out of shape about this woman, but the fact of the matter is she is extravagant in her worship to me because she knows she's been forgiven of much. And you're holding off because you feel like there's not much in your life to be forgiven of. I'm here to tell you, church, no matter whether you feel like your debt of sin was little or whether you know it to be a lot, it was still more than you were able to pay. And Jesus did for you what you cannot do for yourself. You know, an old preacher told me one time, someone that I truly love and I hold in high regard, he said to me one time, as he was helping me through years ago, he said, you know, Clay, you, uh, you can't alter the past. Sometimes I feel like the enemy brings so much condemnation and, and guilt and shame on our life about past stuff, about sin struggles and patterns and whatever. And, we sit there and we wish so badly that we could go back and fix stuff, right? I'm here to tell you tonight, church, it's a whole nother message, but regret is not a world that you wanna live in. And you don't have to. You gotta refuse to live in the world of regret. Regret is a world of lost opportunities and missed chances and you'll never get it back. The enemy would love for you to live in a world of regret because as you're walking along in, in, in life, what regret does is it keeps you looking like this. It doesn't allow you to forget what's behind and press on towards what's ahead because regret has you considering the past each and every day. But this preacher spoke into my life and he says, Clay, you, you can't alter the past, but you can always bring your past to the altar. And I thought, man, that's so true. No matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been serving Jesus, whether you feel like it's been 20, 25, 30, 35 years, or whether you feel like, man, this is the first night I, I came to church and I'm hearing about this man who wants to buy me back. I'm here to tell you tonight, you can't change what happened. Some of us wish we could go back and do it different. You're never gonna get it back. It's a lost opportunity. It's a mischance. Forget about it. Stop trying to alter the past. Tonight's your night to bring the past to the altar. And Jesus makes this exchange. Jesus makes this awesome exchange. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me all the wages of sin. And let's see, I'll give you wonderful righteousness. I don't know about you, but if you just pause and breathe that in for a second, in no way is that ever a good trade. <laughs> like if that's me, I'm not making that trade. But God is, is great. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And tonight I just feel like there's someone in here tonight and you need to make that trade with Jesus. You need to walk out of here. I'm here to tell you tonight, when you, when you surrender your life to Jesus, you give it all to Jesus and his blood purchases your life and you are bought back and you are now in the family of God. You are an heir of righteousness. What will happen is this weight will be lifted off your shoulders. There's too many people walking around in life with massive anxiety, massive worry, hating who they are, literally not able to look themselves in the mirror because they're just disgusted with what they've become and what they've done and how they've acted and how they've treated people and, and failed marriages and failed relationships and my family hates me and all this mess of stuff and it's weighty and it's heavy and the enemy loves to see you heavy. But Jesus says, no, 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 my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I believe if the gospel could be summed up in one word, it would be come, come. Come all who are weary, all who are heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Why don't we stand to our feet tonight? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just wanna pray for people. I just wanna give people an opportunity 
to respond. If you're a believer in here tonight, this is not a chance for us to just kind of check out and oh, this portion of the service isn't for me. If you're a believer, man, I want you praying right now. I want you praying. I want you going to God, praying for people who are in this room. But man, if you're in here tonight, and you know your relationship with God is not where it should be. Maybe it's been a long time since you and God have been close. You know you're far from God. You know that relationship has been strained. Maybe it's been a while since you talked to him. Maybe you've never had a personal, real, close, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never actually confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart, Jesus is Lord, and I want to surrender my life to him. Tonight, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not even going to have you come forward or anything like that. But, but I would ask that you would be so bold just to lift your hand so I could pray with you. On the count of three, if that's you, I wanna pray for you tonight. I just want you to lift your hand. One, two, three, put your hand in the air. Thank you, thank you. Just keep it up, keep it up for five, 10 more seconds. Anybody else? Anybody else? Awesome, awesome. You can put your hands down. I want us to pray this church and I'm gonna lead us in this prayer. You can repeat after me and looks like there's people in the room tonight who might even be praying it for the very first time. Let's all say this. Everyone say, Lord Jesus, tonight I recognize my need for you. I thank you for the cross and your blood that is so rich that it can buy me back from all sin and all transgression. God, from this day on, I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name. Now let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for our church. I thank you for what you're doing. And every single individual in this room, God, I pray for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who are going to wake up tomorrow and we're going to go to school or we're going to go to work or we're going to do whatever you've called us to do. God, I pray that we would be so bold. I pray that we would be so courageous. God, that people in our path are going to learn of the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the love of our God because we're going to be bold about it. God, I pray that you would give us creative ways to share. God, I pray that you would give us boldness, that you would give us ideas is, that you would give us wisdom and discernment and conversations. God, use us in an awesome and a powerful way, I pray in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.